Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. Today I speak with seismically talented musician and vocalist, touring bassist, songwriter, orchestrator, arranger, and kibitzroom mainstay, Jennifer Jo Oberly. We talk about her Brooklyn upbringing, early manifestations of her musical talent, attending the Berkeley College of Music, getting through depression, appreciating the joys of recovery, exploring new paths and possibilities during COVID, and collaborating with the International Songwriters Collective. A profound and soulful chat about real stuff. So grab yourself a coffee, settle in and enjoy. And P.S. if you think you hear a kitty in the background, our cat Jack was chirping at birds, so it's not your imagination. <laughs> Here's me and Jen. Enjoy. Hello there, Jennifer Joe Overly. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm just so I'm so thrilled to see you and I'm so glad that you have the time to to talk to me. I mean, that's maybe maybe part of the gift of this weird time that we're living in is that we have a little bit more time for things like yeah, that. It's like we have more time, but yet not enough time. I find that like this past year, I've been spending all this you know, this time discovering new things and now it's occupying my, my my days with other you know projects and things so it's like it's almost like I'm busier now than I was when I was working I think I think that's true I mean for, it's weird because every day I wake up and I think what day is, oh it's Thursday already you know and I think where did the week go right you know and um and and so it's sort of like extra there's a little extra um, I feel I put a little bit of pressure on myself to really do something with this time because it's such a it's been a gift in many ways. It, I mean, again, trying to make lemonade out of the lemons, right? And making the best of a situation. Yeah, it's it's been amazing, actually, this journey since uh, this time last year, you know, to think where I was then and to think how the whole year progressed. 
you know, the first couple of weeks, well, originally we just thought it was only two weeks, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, I know I have more work in April and May mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll just enjoy this time off because at that point I was hustling a lot. You know, I was constantly like I was teaching and I was gigging and traveling and all of this other stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make the best of this. Right. So, so, you know, I, I was running every day. I was exercising. I was uh, reading books. I, I, uh, I started the artist's way with a couple of friends on zoom. So like, you know, I really filled up my schedule. Plus I was doing, I was doing some Facebook live shows Mm -hmm. you know just me and my keyboard and sometimes my bass and guitar and mm -hmm. just went for it and you know it was really a, a great experience because I got to figure out what I liked and what I didn't like <laughs> so and then you have a lot of time to uh to practice and that's mm -hmm. a gift because you know like when you're running you know like for Brad you know he'd be running around rehearsing and gigging and whatnot and now all this time to to practice and, and to like really hone the craft and get really clear about like what it is that you really want to be doing and what do you want to be playing? Wow. Whose you music know, do you want to be playing? It's really funny that you say that because yes, the first couple of months I was all about practicing guitar mm -hmm. because prior to this, I always had a guitar player supporting me you know, in, in, in musical situations. Like I, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a, a live solo show. I always had like a guitar player backing me up. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to, to start diving into the guitar. And yeah, for the first couple months I did, and, and I got pretty good. Like I was getting like very comfortable and stuff. But then I, I think what happened was when, you know, the political climate got so, so heavy, mm -hmm. I just kind of put that aside and started going towards you know, advocacy and, you know, um, you know, supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And also I had a lot of friends that were suffering from, you know, um, you know, alcoholism and, you know, mental health issues. And, you know, prior to that, I was, you know, I'm, I'm three years sober right now. Um, and right before the pandemic hit, I was coming out of a severe depression. And this was during my, you know, I mean, I was sober at this time, but, you know, I, I'm also, I was overcome with grief from a divorce you know, I was married for 17 years to someone that was very attached to not only, you know, my personal relationship, but my professional relationship. So, you know, there was a lot to grieve over. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, in December of 2019, I really felt the isolation from my grief. And, um, you know, I got into a really, really deep depression. And, uh, you know, I, I had suicidal ideations. And, you know, at, at the most crucial point, someone called me. 
and shifted everything. And his name is Paul Ill. For some reason, Paul shows up <laughs> at the most random times and just shifts my life. Like he's like my, my guardian angel or something. He knows when he's needed. Hey, Jen, it's Paul. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> out of nowhere, out of nowhere. And, and like, you know, he, he's, he's working um, towards his MFT, you know, and so he's, he's uh, a mental health professional. And he kind of got it out of me that I was having these feelings. And after that, I mean, I, if you can imagine this, here I am, like, at this coffee shop on Sunset, like, right down the block from Guitar Center, where I was working at the time. And I was just in tears. I was like hysterically crying in, in this coffee shop because I just kind of ran out of options. In my head, I just didn't know what else to do with my life. And I was so attached to my past. I was so attached to this relationship that I lost. I was so attached to the relationships I had as a married woman and as a professional you know, so like, I felt like everything was falling apart. Like I couldn't control anything. So there I am like crying, having this like nervous breakdown in the coffee shop. And um, Paul is like, well, you know, I, 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 since I'm trained in the mental profession, I have no other choice but to report this. So he contacted someone at Music Cares and within like 15, 20 minutes, I was on the phone with, with Harold Owens. And then he, re he reached out to um, uh, D.D. Hirsch, which is a suicide prevention center, mm -hmm. suicide prevention treatment center. And with the help of Music Cares, I was able to get counseling and assistance throughout Christmas and, and, you know, January when I was back on tour mm -hmm. and that really shifted my perspective completely. You know, it was just like, I went from having absolutely no options and so deep in my despair and so deep in my, myself, my story mm -hmm. to finding hope, to finding that there are options. I just wasn't able to see him at the time. Right. And, and this was kind of the building blocks to 2020 prior to the pandemic. So by the time the pandemic hit, I was already kind of like reinventing myself, feeling recharged, feeling, feeling healthy and, and, you know, mentally stable. Um, but yet, you know, obviously there were other things going on you know, uh, but, but I was able to handle it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was able, like, I was very present and I could get my work done. I, I could function. So then when, when uh, the pandemic hit, you know, I couldn't reach out to Music Cares because they already helped me, but it was, it was wonderful how that community was able to help others like so many other musicians, like from the get-go, like they just were like, you know, we're here to help our, our community of musicians because this is like an unprecedented time, mm -hmm. you know? So the first couple of shows I did online, 
you know, I was kind of encouraging people to reach out to Music Cares or contribute to Music Cares because that is an organization that really saves musicians' lives, mm -hmm. literally, literally. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that organization and, and to Paul Ill for, you know, being there at the most um, important time in my life. Um, so yeah, I, I just totally went off a tangent here. Where, where were we talking no, 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 about? No, this is fantastic, but, but how fortunate that this happened before the lockdown started. So you are already on a trajectory upward from yeah. that deep despair. So mm -hmm. that, you know, and then, and then you were able to utilize this time that we've had to really, to really reevaluate, re yeah. recalibrate all that stuff. But I, I, I did want to go back to the very, the very, very beginning of Jennifer Jo Oberly's life, which is in, you were born in, in Brooklyn, right? Yes. Brooklyn, Sheepshead Bay. Sheepshead Bay. And uh, my parents are still there. Um, I, I lived there for 25 years. And um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a, a different experience than living in LA. That's for sure. That's for sure. And then did, did you did you start off when you were a little kid? Did you were you musically inclined from the get go? Oh, yeah. That kind um, of gradual thing. Yeah, no, I, I've always had the, I guess, the natural ability. Um, my mom, she has perfect pitch. Um, and she's, you know, she, she's self-taught. She just has the music in her, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, my grandfather, her father, had his own orchestra. He was a clarinetist. And, um, you know, when... Uh, he passed on, there were all these instruments lying around in the house. And my mom made sure that we all play them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and some of the, some of my siblings kept with it and some of them didn't, you know, um, my brother took after my grandfather, uh, my brother, Tommy, he's a, a clarinetist and um, very accomplished clarinetist too. And uh, he, he chose to go into uh, education though. He's, he's a principal for a high school, actually one of the better high schools in Brooklyn. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I always had the knack for music. You know, I would, I think the first instrument I played was the violin. And, you know, it was, you know, of course it was like nails on a chalkboard, you know. Mm -hmm. Violin is not an easy instrument to learn. Um, and then somewhere, I think I was probably, I mean, I, I remember I was really small, right? I was a little girl. So I had to stack up all these books on the seat so I could get to the keys, uh -huh. right? And, and I would just be able to pick up stuff by ear, you know? And uh, there were note spelling books around the house too. So I was able to read music and understand the staff and notation at a very young, early, you know, young age as well. Um, and you, it kind of carried, carried over with school. When I went to school, like I would pick up in those music classes really quickly mm -hmm. and I would take piano lessons and you know, I wouldn't practice for all the whole week. And then like my teacher would show up and I would like 
get the assignment done a half hour before she showed up, you know? So it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, I kind of took it for granted, you know, I, I should have put more effort into it, but yeah, I do have the natural ability. It was and your, it was your superpower and you knew it at a young age. I, I guess. So. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the, it was at that point, it was the only way I could, I felt like I could express myself, you know, cause um, I'm the baby of six kids mm. it, back in those days, we only had two bedrooms and um, there was two sets of bunk beds and a fold out mattress for myself. So I have four sisters. So five girls slept in one room and then my brother had his own room. And then my parents, you know, they had the sofa bed in the living room. So it was like a very, you know, literally crowded house. And, um, you know, that was, that was my serenity. Music was my serenity, you know? Um, and if you can imagine, every room had a different radio station on. You know, and then in the living room, my dad had the TV on and everyone would just do their business. They, they were just like, you know, I'm playing piano. All this noise is coming out of every single room, you know? So it was like, we all had our ways of coping with the, the, the you know, the, the tight quarters, you know, the tight uh, surroundings, which kind of made me feel like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, perfectly trained to live on a bus, you know? It's yeah. like, touring life would be great for me because I really don't need much space, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, music was definitely something that was a natural gravitational pull for me. And then you did go to Berkeley College of Music, right? Yes, eventually I did, yes. Um, you know, I, uh, hmm. How did that happen? I mean, there was a like. That made you because already you had you had this natural capability, and you could have just relied on that and just be one of those great, you know, people who can read music who are great by ear, and they they just go with that. They don't they don't do formal schooling. Well, uh, yeah, you no, know, I had a lot of segues in my life. I had a lot of segues in my life. Okay. So, all right, uh, let me think. Um, so in junior high, you know, I got more into music. I was studying classical piano and I always sang. I always sang. And um, I was in a lot of, like I was in the chorus, I was in the band. But I also danced too, so I was in the dance club. You know, I, I did all these activities, but the only thing I didn't do was actually any academic work. <laughs> it's got to give. Because, because no, but, but you know, it was like you know, I'm, you know, I was just like a bit of, I was a bit of a mess, right? Like so, like I would, I. Uh, during junior high school, right? I, 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 I always tested out of a lot of classes. I was a smart girl. But, you know, again, like I, I didn't have the, the environment to apply myself to academics. Mm -hmm. So like I just naturally gravitated towards the arts. And then when it came the time to audition for School of Performing Arts, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't prepare, 
and and like I learned from there that you know there was something missing in in my um, like I I needed to learn how to put in work to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like everything up until that point was so easy, you know. Even school, like you know, just like doing classwork, taking tests and stuff. But, you know, somewhere along the line, I realized I had to apply myself. <laughs> what age did this happen, this, this uh, situation? Oh, it, it, I, I guess it was like when, well, I, I obviously with that kind of mindset, I didn't do well in high school, right? So I, I left high school at uh, the ninth grade and I officially took my GED at, at uh, 16. And then I went straight to uh, Kingsborough Community College. It's a you know a two-year college, um, and and it was kind of like we called it the country club because it was right on the water, you know. Ah. Um, but I really applied myself there, you know. And and at that point, I had the environment to study because my sisters moved out, or um, there were a couple of bedrooms that were that were built in the basement too. So I had the environment available to me to put in the work and to really kind of think for myself and apply myself towards something. You know, I, you know, I start thinking about it now because it's like, I know how much concentration and focus is required to get things done now. And I think back to when I was a kid and I had no opportunity to do that, but it was just not the environment yeah. to do that. So like, you know, I, no wonder I have ADD. you like, no wonder I'm like constantly like going from thing to thing, you know? So um, when I went to Kingsboro, you know, of course I gravitated towards music because that's like the thing for me. And originally, what did I go in for? I went for music education and then I sang in the chorus, the choir, and then they realized I also played piano. So I took private piano lessons. And what they did was they gave me the opportunity to take private voice lessons as well as piano lessons. Um, if I accompanied the chorus during rehearsals and then performed with the chorus, you know, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was an incredible experience for me because I learned how to read multiple clefs at the same time. And that was like, what a breakthrough to be able to do that. What a skill set to have. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you wouldn't think that, you know, of, you know, like if you saw me now, like it's just, it's it's just a totally different world, you know? Um, and, And I'm kind of like amazed when I think about like the things that I accomplished when I was 16. So like, you know, there I am like reading multiple claps during your, uh, the rehearsals. And then I'm like performing like La Traviata or like um, they played a mouse. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I had the range. I had that range from my mother. My mom is just, if you heard her like, okay, so I'm gonna segue again. So my mom just proved that she has perfect pitch. There was one day, well, she came to, to, when I was living in Boston, she came to see me graduate at Berkeley, right? Mm -hmm. And um, 
at that point I had um, a, a recording studio, a little recording setup in my apartment. And um, I asked her to just like sing through the microphone a song, you know, and she, she picked, I fall to pieces. As mm -hmm. well, right. Yes. And, you know, here she is singing on this, like, you know, SM58, totally casual. She's sitting there and like, she's wearing her jeans and her sneakers and stuff. And, you know, she's like, eh, you know, and kids are like, my, my niece is like screaming in the background and stuff. And after she left and, you know, they all went back to Brooklyn, um, you know, Steve, who was my husband at the time, he, 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 he called me and he's like, Jen, listen to this. And we played it back and my mom, she sang everything perfectly. Like the notes were like, you, you didn't have to tune anything. You didn't have to shift anything. It was just perfect. <laughs> I was like, wow. wow. She had yeah. Patsy Cline in her head and she yeah. was matching her. Yes, yes, which makes sense. Like for me, like back in the day, I was able to have that gift too. Like now, I think now that I'm older and, and from the confusion I've had with guys tuning down their guitars, you know, my relative pitch is a little different now. Like I'm usually off a half step, but, but yeah, my mom back in the day, she just had this perfect ear and it was just amazing. So anyway, so where was I? I was in community college. I, I was studying piano and voice. And then I became a drummer for, well, I was a drummer actually prior to that. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So I was a drummer in a punk band, like a glam punk band. It was an all girl band that I formed in high school called Sisters Grimm. And there's my accent, right? Sisters Grimm. Sisters Grimm. Like all of a sudden you're going to hear my accent come out, right? <laughs> You can take the girl out of Brooklyn. You can't take the Brooklyn out of the girl. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm sorry, you know, for anyone listening, I'm sorry for all the segues. Um, I don't think I've ever really shared my story. So it's like, it's, it's interesting to kind of look back. Um, yeah, so imagine, okay, so I'm, I'm a dropout. I'm hanging out in high school. Actually, I'm hanging out outside of high school. I never really went inside. And you know, I met these girls, uh, Marissa and, and Victoria, and uh, they're twin sisters. And they were just like the cutest rock and roll chicks, right? They had like these awesome matching, like colorful outfits all the time. They always had like all different color, you know, they had the Oxblood Doc Martens and, mm -hmm. you know, they were just the cool chicks, right? And, um, you know, they knew that I, I was into music and like, I, I, you know, I was into all the bands that they were into. And, and uh, we got together in my parents' basement and we formed this band. And, you know, I, I would pick up instruments and just like, you know, play these chords, play that chords. And like, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I just kind of had an ear for it again. So then I had this drum kit. So I, I became the drummer. Um, I'm sure your parents love that. <laughs> Actually, you know what? They they didn't care. You know, like I, I don't I think they were just happy that I was home and I wasn't causing trouble. Yeah, like, and you were doing you were doing something constructive. And I was doing something constructive. And as a matter of fact, back in those days too, my brother was around and he ended up playing drums for my other friend's band, Lyle. 
and uh, I played keyboards for that band. So it was a very musical time in my in my life. Um, so anyway, yeah. So we formed this band, Sisters Grim. We played in a lot of like places in the village and stuff. And uh, we had this really cool singer, Laurel Stevenson. She had like this really funky blonde hair and she lived in Alphabet City and, you know, and it was, it was a fun time, you know, and I was playing drums for them. And then that summer, I remember um, playing drums for a band called God is My Co-Pilot, which, which is like, they, they had an international following as well. And I felt so, so excited to be asked to be a part of that. Um, but yeah, I was such a kid. What kind, what kind of music was God is My Co-Pilot? Was it a punk band or was it something else? You know, it, it was like experimental punk. It had a message though, you know, it had, it had a strong message. Um, it's really hard to explain. And, you know, if, if Craig Flanagan was here, I'm sure he could explain it. But, you know, it, it was very in, experimental. You know, there were sometimes two drummers, you know, that I, 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 I think I remember playing, there was a jazz drummer too, where we were just kind of, I think we were going back and forth. I, you know, it's been so long. It's been what, you know, 30 years, 30, so 30 something years. So yeah, I mean, uh, Craig says he has some pictures from those days, but yeah, I haven't seen him yet. But yeah, that's, that's a time in my life that I would really love to kind of re-examine because right now it's kind of a blur. You know, and then my first um, my first recording was singing with a band, Bug Out Society, which they were definitely like a, a punk band. They were like a mm -hmm. ska punk band. Mm -hmm. And um, I was the guest vocalist in the song New Wave Girls. We, I was a new wave girl back in those days. I was a big Susie and the Banshees fan. Oh, yeah. Everyone knew it. Everyone knew it. Um, so anyway, yeah, so prior to, to Kingsborough, I was like, you know, very, you know, active in, in the music scene, in the punk music scene, experimental punk scene. And then um, when I went to, to Kingsborough, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna get my shit together. You know, like, I, I just didn't know where I was gonna end up. So, so I just really focused in on, on school and academics and stuff, and I did really well and I, you know, I, I even played in the concert band in the percussion ensemble. Like I was in the, yeah. And, and I just remember, you know, having a hard time with it because there was a lot of pausing and like, you know, for my ADD, I can't really count that for that long. Right. Like, you know, for, for like the, the percussion pit, like there was like a lot of rests and, and like a lot of these, these, uh, compositions have multiple meters and stuff so then I have to think about okay so so I can't forget that five eight part you know you know and and honestly I didn't have enough time to really learn the music again you know it's just I I just had this issue with attention and um yeah so like I would miss my cues and stuff and it was just like yeah it was just not for me um so then when I I I graduated I I tried a semester at Brooklyn College as a piano major. And I studied with this phenomenal pianist, Augustin Nieves. And 
you know, I was studying Brahms, I was studying um, Chopin etudes, and it was great. But at that point, I had rock and roll in my blood, you know, and I just couldn't imagine myself sitting home studying Rhapsody in Blue all day. Like, I just, I just had to be honest with myself. That wasn't my calling. At know? the same time, that, that training in classical music does inform everything else. So it makes you a better rock and roll performer. Well, it, it kind of, yeah, it kind of makes sense as to where my, my career led me. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's not as much of a surprise if you know my background, right? Mm -hmm. So that was when I went to Brooklyn College was when I started playing bass. You know, I, I, I dated a guitar player and, you know, well, actually, okay, so yeah, it was always a boyfriend. A boyfriend always gave me a bass, you know, and, and I was just able to figure it out. Like, you know, for the, the first moment I, I played a bass, I knew how to play it. You mm -hmm. know, it was just like a natural thing. And um, I remember I was just kind of, I borrowed a, a, a friend's bass, it was a Carlo Lovett Robelli. And then within two weeks, I got into my first band, Green Wilma. Yeah, it's, it, this is hilarious too, because I went from an original band, Green Wilma, to a cover, ma cover band, Cold Ethel. So like, you know, I was in these bands with old lady names, uh -huh. but you know, anyone who's a rock historian knows that Cold Ethel is an Alice Cooper, you know, mm. uh, song. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so, yeah, there's like a little bit of rock right there. Um, but yeah, so when when the bass came to you know i didn't go to the bass the bass kind of came to me it was kind of like this like divine intervention it was like this aha moment like when i played it I, again like i i knew exactly what to do and how to play it and how to fit in with a band mm -hmm. there was um this feeling of connection i never really felt with any other instrument whereas i was able to really hear and understand the function of the rest of the band while it was playing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and just the feeling of groove and the feeling of going into a hypnotic trance with like the repetition of a groove mm -hmm. and feeling a pocket with, with the drummer, with the kick. Like there was just something very um, powerful and somewhat seductive, you know? So like, at that point, there was like a romanticism that I had with the bass as well. And um, it kind of led me to these other opportunities. Um, but at that point, I also had to, you know, have a job, you know, so I, I ended up getting a day job. And, and like, once I got the day job, then I started like gigging like three or four nights a week. So then, you know, it, I was kind of struggling because I was burning the candle at both ends. You know, I, I would, I was in a couple of bands 
I was in a, like, at that point, I was in like a wedding band and then I was in this, this rock band, you know, this, you know, bar band. And I would learn the songs on my, my uh, Walkman on the subway, you know, while I was going to work. I mean, there's my accent again, of course. Like yes, you hear the what I thought <laughs> when I was going to work, you know. Yeah, I pick up the bagels, I bring a little, you know. But anyway, <laughs> and what, was, but, yeah. what was your day job? What What were you commuting to? Oh, okay, all right. Well, to work? again, like all these freaking segues, it's insanity. <laughs> so I, so like when I was fourteen, I was fourteen. I was working at a video store, Royal Video Exchange. Oh, I I'm worked there. Time. What's that? I've done that. Been yeah, there. remember the video stores. Yeah, and 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 actually, at that point, we we didn't have much competition. Like it was when, only when Blockbuster came around, then we were like, oh geez, you know, here right. we go. But what you know, the thing that kept us alive was our porn section. Like there was like the the adult section in the back, and it was just like one of those things. Like you know, I really shouldn't be like you know, looking at these covers, you know, I shouldn't really be. But it's know. capitalism at work, you know. So yeah, has yeah. Someone has to do it, right? So like, yeah, and it was just, it was, it was, it was an interesting job for that reason and many others. Uh, so you, you, you really get to know someone's taste. <laughs> and you also really get to know intimately what films were coming out just like films in general what what was coming out at that time it's like in the 1980s i worked at warehouse records and tapes in scottsdale arizona so it's a vivid like i remember oh my the God. face the the you know the the faced and the end capped vhs oh. tapes <laughs> and can i even tell you when et came out on tape on 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 uh video that was a big fiasco because like, okay, we were taking like advanced sales. <laughs> There's my accent again, uh -huh. right? So like they would put down deposits for like their, their ET video. And, and then sure enough, we were like the last on the block to get it. And then like people started coming in, customers were coming in like, I want a refund, I want a refund. I got it, I, you know, I got mine at Blockbuster, no problem. You know, so it was just like one of those things. Anyway. <laughs> Wow. I mean, it, it's been 30 years since I thought about that memory. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So okay. videos for you too, huh? A video store? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and also uh, the beginning of CDs. Uh-huh. And the, the sound that the CDs made in the bins when you would flip through them. Oh, yeah. Do inventory. <laughs> yes. Because they yeah. have the security things around them. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I actually... Right, and I worked at a record store too. Actually, the the record store that um, you know is my home away from home, around the corner from my house. I'll, I'll try not to have my accent, but I don't know if it's gonna. Uh, okay, so so Zigzag Records, right? Zigzag Records is like, it's it's historically one of the most popular record stores in Brooklyn, right? Mm -hmm. And it was just on the corner of uh, tw East Twenty Third and Avenue. And um, it was owned by Phil Benedetto, who I, I'm a Facebook friend with now, which I'm very excited about. And this guy, Stan, used to work the counter. And, you know, um, my sisters and I used to go there every day. And I would like pick up records all the time. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I, I would also get the luxury of getting like the promo tapes that they receive. 
of like up and coming bands. Mm -hmm. So that was like, I, I always felt like, you know, I knew about bands before anybody else because of that, you know. It was like being uh, in Hollywood and getting screeners. It yes, was exactly. The equivalent of that. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, I felt like I got like some secret information, you know. Um, so yeah, I worked there. And then like, I also worked in, believe it or not, banks. I, I uh, was a teller. And then I, uh, I worked in the city. I worked uh, right across the street from the Twin Towers. I worked for a, 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 an investment banking firm for a couple of years until mm -hmm. my boss uh, got arrested <laughs> for embezzlement. Wow, this is and, New York, of course. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's corporate <laughs> America. You know, welcome to corporate America, right? Welcome to and, Wall Street. Uh, yeah. What's that? Welcome to Wall Street. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. Oh my God. Right. But you know, it, it was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's kind of surreal to think that, you know, the towers are gone and like, I, I know some people who were there during, um, not 11 too. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's heavy to think about, you know, that I, I, I worked there. I would go there every day. Like I would, I would, um, you know, my, 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 uh, subway stop was Cortland Avenue and and uh, there was like an underground mall like a, a shopping center where it would connect with the overpass that would take you to my building mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's just uh it's kind of crazy to think that that's all gone what years were were those that you worked in the in the in the investment banking it was like right after the first bomb attack and right and, and before this okay so yeah that. because the the first one was in 93 right yeah so, so i or the 90s i think i i think i got the job like in 93 right after that bomb attack mm -hmm. because then after that i i worked for fox for a couple of years and then that that brought me to base full-time so um yeah so i was working for uh after after the investment bank i i ended up working for excuse me uh 20th century fox film distribution company right so uh that was like in the the news corp building that was right down the block from uh what used to be called music row mm -hmm. and you know they, they had all the, the music shops down the block um and it was a, it was a cool job because I got to see, you know, again, I got to see screenings. I got yeah. to get like, you know, cool swag and stuff. And, uh, but at that point I was gigging a lot and I had to make a, a decision, you know, what I was going to be doing with my life. You know, was I going to stay in corporate America or was I going to, you know, uh, pursue my dreams as, as, a, as a bass player and, and singer. Um, and I was up for a promotion that I really thought for sure I was gonna get and then I didn't get it. So I was like, okay, well, there's my cue, right? So I, I uh, resigned, you know, I, I, I quit uh, on uh, the weekend of Independence Day it was like right after ID4 was released, Independence Day was on in the theaters. Uh-huh. And I left. I left. And then I went to Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that changed my life. It was like a whole 
big shift in my life. You know, I was funny too, when I left Brooklyn, I had a lot of friends and, you know, if they're listening, if, you know, I know a lot of people like uh, in Brooklyn, they'll, they'll hear this and, and they'll laugh because they'll be like, I'll give you two weeks, you'll be coming home crying, you know? Like they just didn't believe that I was gonna leave, you know? Because, you know, th there's this thing about Brooklyn too. It's like, mm. you know, if you're you in the center- You don't leave the neighborhood. You don't leave the neighborhood. You know, if you're in the center of the universe, there's nothing else out there, you know? Why, <laughs> why even venture out? There's no reason, you know? You, you've got everything you want here. You, yeah. every, everything you need uh, here. Everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Duh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So I went to I went to Berkeley, and it was so funny. I had a a, a friend of mine, my one of the first guys that I uh, I met at Berkeley, Marco Panachia, who's a fantastic bassist. Um, he was telling me, "Oh, you're from Brooklyn. I'm so excited to move there one day." And I was like, "Move there? I'm so glad I got out of there." You know, I was trying to get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, like, little did I know that the other side of Brooklyn was kind of getting built up and becoming like hipsterville. You know, mm -hmm. so you know, the, my Berkeley years were great because I got deeply immersed and and I learned how to like kind of you know threading it all together. I learned how to focus and apply myself. Mm -hmm. It took a long time for me though. You know, it wasn't like one of those things where I learned how, like it wasn't like I was uh, uh, directed to study when I was younger. It wasn't right. like anyone was around to, to monitor my, my study habits, you know? So like, you know, now it's just like, okay, well, I got myself into this situation. I got to thrive in this, you know? So I was so determined. And like, I would like walk around, I had this grimace on my face, like, don't, don't mess with me. I'm focused, I'm working on my stuff, you know? And it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, everybody else is so happy and everyone's like so happy to be there and they're all networking. I'm like, don't bother me. I'm trying to learn here. <laughs> Do you think that maybe part of moving, moving to Boston and then being in a different context, do you think that that kind of helped you to focus because you're away from the neighborhood? Oh, most right? definitely. But like, you know, if, if, you know, I, if I saw myself back then, I would be like, Jen, just chill out. Just chill out. Really stop being so freaking serious you know but you know at that point I was like on a mission like you know and and I I, I didn't have much support so I I worked at this uh this restaurant Dick's Last Resort and I was like that that helped pay for my rent like you know because I I went to Berkeley later on in life it wasn't like I, I got too much scholarship money you know and I was definitely not going to live in the dorms so uh you know I had to kind of fend for myself you know, so uh, eventually I, I managed to get scholarship money, but it took a while. Mm -hmm. um, and I was one of those people where like, okay, I had un unfinished business because, you know, here I am a high school dropout. I'm feeling really like, you know, I have this low self-esteem coming from like, just, you know, not completing anything. So I was like, okay, I'm in a mission to complete school. I'm, I'm in a mission to 
complete Berkeley. And little did I know that like the people who usually succeed from Berkeley are the ones that don't finish. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, yet you didn't hear that from me, guys. Like anyone who is hearing oh, hearing this, no, no, you should complete okay. it. It's a great school. You stick it yeah, out. Stay in school. Yeah, be cool, stay in school. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, um, yeah, so I, I um, I went to Berkeley for bass performance and it was the, the greatest experience. I, I, I loved it. Again, I was like deeply immersed and I practiced like six, seven hours a day. And, and uh, you know, because of my ears, I was like advanced placed. Uh -huh. So like they would give me these ear training tests and you know, like the good bass player I am, I hear the bass motion. So I know the chord, right? Mm -hmm. Little did they know that I only knew the bass line. <laughs> I only knew the, the root of the chords. I didn't know the tensions or anything. So like there I am like in this harmony class and I'm surrounded by all these like scholarship recipients from all over the world, right? And I'm like the minority, like all of them are from Europe and they're speaking in Latin. And, and like, you know, you know, one's from France, one's from Spain, one's from like, you know, um, a French province or whatever. And, and like, they're all speaking in, in different languages. And I'm just like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, <what's, laughs> like, you know, and so, so again, like there I am like trying to like catch up to these people. Um, but yeah, eventually I did, like I, I got through it. And um, uh, during that time also, I was uh, playing with this original band, Virgil Kane with this guy, Mike Burge, uh, who's, a, who's a fantastic songwriter. And that, you know, I, I also met my husband at that, my ex-husband at that time too. So that kind of shifted things for me. Um, you know, whereas music, as much as music was important, so was my relationship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I made some, you know, different choices. <laughs> Um, whereas I was still playing music, but it wasn't as important to me. Mm -hmm. But something happened too during that time where, you know, music came back. And that's the thing in my life too. It's like I have these moments where I feel like my mus music has left me. And just when I think music has completely left me, it comes back, you know, and, and it's 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 strange because it's it's always been my best friend you know the whole idea of, of being able to go back to to sharing you know the, the mystery of, of of harmony and melody and and community mm -hmm. is something that i keep on going back to and it's something that hasn't failed me you know human relationships they've failed me but musical relationships, not so much. I mean, there's always something that's been able to get me through, you know? There's like a magic there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but- It does, it does. There's a, there's a, there, there are threads that bind you together with music that transcends any personal relationship, really. Do you think? Yeah, there's absolutely. Sort of energetic well, and it was definitely the chemistry of the musical chemistry that brought me to my ex-husband mm -hmm. and 
you know, it's, it's the musical chemistry that kept me with my ex-husband for so long because it was such a big part of me. And we understood that language so well that it was like everything to the point where there wasn't anything outside of the relationship but music, right? So it was hard to separate the relationship from the work, mm -hmm. which at the end, you know, I felt what like was, was the turning point you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it feels good knowing that I have that acceptance in my life because it took years for me to get to that point, you know, because, uh, you know, again, I was just very heartbroken that this, this happened, you mm -hmm. know, um, because, you know, he's, he's still one of my favorite people, you know, and, and I hope, um, you know, we could, you know, repair that friendship at least in the mm -hmm. future. Um, wow, I didn't felt, I didn't think I was gonna be that candid, but um, it's funny because like I started out with my depression and like all of a sudden I'm like, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm getting very <laughs> candid. Sorry guys. Oh no, no, it's good because you know what? A lot of people are gonna really be connecting with this. And I hope so. I hope it's so. important. These are human stories, you know, and um, do, did you also at that time at Berkeley, did you, did, did you, were you uh, singing more than you had been before? Was that part of the? Yeah, actually, you know, uh, I always had a knack for singing and playing bass. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I thought I was going to be like, a rock star in my head, you know? And I kind of took command of a stage like that, you know? I kind of like, I was like a woman on a mission, you know? Um, I met this guy, Pat Wallace, who's like still a dear friend of mine. When I went to visit Boston to, to see, to check out the school, and I remember them inviting me to sit in and I got up and 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 like played a few songs I think I played like an Aretha Franklin song or something mm -hmm. and by the time I got back home to Brooklyn I got this voicemail from him saying well Jen if you ever decide to move out to Boston you have a band mm. so again it was like divine intervention so when I went to Boston I came back to Boston and he was like, okay, well, we're going to form a band and you're going to play with us. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this. So I started, you know, we started this band, The Generators, and um, I was singing all that stuff. I was singing like, you know, Blondie, Pretenders, mm -hmm. Fleetwood Mac, you know, all the big, you know, female artists and stuff. And um, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I gained a lot of confidence doing that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and yeah, it, it was a really fun time in my life. You know, there's a lot of work though. I, we were doing five sets of 40 minutes. Wow. And, and I remember going to my ear training class in the morning and like, I hardly had any voice. Cause mm. at that point too, I was smoking. I was a smoker and a drinker and like, you know, I was that girl. <laughs> I was that girl. Which makes you sound great. You get to have the whiskey and cigarettes voice. Yeah. And there's the downside. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, you know, if I was sick, I would have some like cognac or whatever, you know? And then like, I would go for my, you know, sight singing class and, you know, 
Dan Snape, you know, who, who's like one of my, my, uh, my classmates were like, oh, there she is with her vanilla coffee or Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And then like, you know, I would have like this raspiness, you know, I would uh -huh. sound like, like, you know, uh, like one of those like jazz singers from their later years. Like, yes. You know, <laughs> like a 67 year old jazz singer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. And then when did you, so you, so you went back to Boston and then how on earth did you find yourself going to Los Angeles or was that much later than that? Okay. So, yeah. So, wow. Um, this is, this is crazy. Uh, I, I didn't think I would ever have this opportunity. Uh, so yeah, I was in Boston. I was very happy, happily married. And uh, we were playing these gigs on the weekends. Um, and we had this little recording studio. Uh, hold on one second. Mm -hmm. We had this little uh, recording studio. And uh, I was writing my own record, my, my solo album. And, you know, again, it was like a struggle because like I was trying to do, we were trying to do everything on our own. And at this time also, I had a day job. I went back to working in an office. Mm -hmm. It was kind of one of those things like, you know, after I graduated Berkeley, you know, I didn't think I was good enough. You know, I mean, like, I just felt like um, there was so much more I needed to learn. And, and I felt like, you know, how am I going to make a living out of this? You know, I, I, I just kind of got a little discouraged. And, and, and at, at the same month, I graduated Berkeley was the same month I got married. So then my life completely shifted in a different way. Right. And, you know, I, my priorities changed, you know, I, I wanted to be that wife. I wanted to be that, you know, the, yeah, I just wanted to be, be, you know, Mrs. Feckety, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, and uh, it was, it was a really wonderful time. And I was working and again, it was like one of those things that was missing. Like I felt like I wasn't myself anymore. Like all of a sudden, like my identity changed mm. and you know, I'm wearing khakis. Why am I wearing khakis? Like, you know, like all of a sudden, like I'm wearing colors. I cut my hair, like, you know, who am I, you know? <laughs> You handed yourself over to the other. Yeah, yeah, you know, and this is something that a lot of like men don't understand. Right. You know? It's like you know, when when women, and and you know, it. I understand now that you know I just didn't have the knowledge that of of my life. I didn't have the life experience, and there's a lot of things that I could have done differently. But at that point, you know, I was just trying to play that role. And, you know, eventually I just felt like, okay, well, I'm still young. I, I still want to travel. I still want to see the world. So I, I, I was on a, I really wanted to, to go out to LA uh, because, you know, my, my ex's friends, they were all doing really well. They were doing great things. And I'm, I was telling him, I was like, you know, you should really take advantage of this. And he's like, oh, but the traffic is awful. Yeah, but like, the weather. <laughs> yeah, no, but I was like, how do you even know? Have you even been there? Right. And he's like, no, but I heard stories. I was like, what? Mm. You know, like, so I was like, you know, whatever. 
I said, you know what? I'm going to go out there. That's such um, an East Coaster mentality too. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Right, totally East Coast. <laughs> right, right, exactly. They're just going to like dismiss it before even giving it a shot. No offense, East Coasters, but right, you know, it's something you should look at. But, <laughs> but yeah, so, so, you know, it took a little bit of persuading him. And uh, we ended up going and, you know, I, I stayed at, at some friend's house, a friend's house. And that first day I got there, uh, one of the girls, she gave me a screenplay of something that she was working on. And that, that first day I got there, I felt like I landed my first film scoring gig. Because like I read this uh, the script and I went to her, it's like, I hear all of this. I hear all of these cues, I hear all this music. And she was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want for this movie. And I'm really hoping that this movie is made eventually because it, you know, I still have like two hours worth of music mm-hmm. that have, has no home yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the movie's called Pistolaris and it's getting a lot of attention now because, you know, especially uh, because the, the screenwriter is, is a woman and she's a, she's a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, Liz Fees is her name, look her up. And um, so, yeah, so like, I felt like, okay, we, we went out to LA, the first day we went out to LA, I got this amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after that, that just kind of planted the seed for us to move out there, mm-hmm. especially since my, my ex had a lot of contacts too. Right, um, right. So, so then we moved out here in uh, September of 07. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, it's the rude awakening. Like, okay, what do we do now? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, got, we get there and we didn't even have an apartment yet. So, you know, there we are, like, you know, staying at a friend's house for a couple of weeks until we find something. And, you know, if, if for anyone who's looking to move to LA, just make sure you save a lot of money first, you know, because yeah. it grows very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, got a lot of opportunity, but at the same time, it's really hard. Yes. To 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 land those opportunities. So it's like, yes, there's great potential, but then you gotta you gotta survive until then. Yeah, and and that was the, the it was very stressful, because you know, and also I I always I always had this um, mentality like I'm I'm a self starter. I'm a results-oriented person. I just like to get up and go and do things, you know? And, you know, there was like that anxiety, that anxiety, like, okay, we gotta get this, we gotta make this happen. And, and at first, you know, the intention was for, for me to pursue original music, but I just had no idea how. I just had no idea how to go there. And, I, and, and you know, my, my gift was playing covers and, and I had a really good recall and I could figure mm-hmm. things out like that, you know, and, and yet I was encouraged not to do that because I didn't want to get stuck in that rut again. Right. And, and then like, there I am, like kind of for a couple of years, there, kind of laying dormant because like, here I am trying to do something different, but I have no idea how to get there. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, my ex is like traveling the world at that point. Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, I'm like kind of, sitting at home like okay so my role as a wife is kind of like you know non-existent at this point until and he's touring right that's what yeah yeah like yeah Yeah. within five months he got a world tour and and we went from being like glued to the hip for years 
to just being completely detached from each other. Mm. And, and, you know, luckily there was like some technology, but, you know, having that experience was definitely, um, you know, shifting, it just shifted everything, you know, mm -hmm. like our roles changed. And, and I was all by myself in LA, you know, uh, luckily I had support of the other wives on the tour, mm -hmm. you know, that, of, of the guys who worked on the tour. Right. And they were like my girls, they were like, like my besties. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really wonderful to have them in my life. And, and, and one of them, I still have this, one of them is still a very close friend of mine. Um, you know, and what's really great about LA is that there's always a support system. If, if you, if you make yourself open to it, yeah. you know, Cause there's and, a lot of people here. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. 10 million people. Absolutely. You know, I think it's important, though, to, to kind of share my story, though, in some ways, because, you know, the, the perspective of a woman has changed significantly. Um, you know, whereas, you know, I'm, I'm 47 now. I, I came from like a different generation of, of parents. And, you know, as far as like, you know, the community out here now, the women in the community now, they're younger, they're more aggressive. They're, they're more determined, you know, they're, they're fearless, you know? And whereas I feel like for me, like I, I, I still had some fear. Sure. I still had some fear. And it took a while for me to, to get out of that. And as, as that started to mature, as I started to mature as my own, you know, person independent from my relationship, you know, other things started kind of coming up for me like all of a sudden I'm like wow I'm like I'm getting older I'm getting close to 40 and I still haven't done this I still haven't done that you know and it just didn't seem like options mm -hmm. um but during that time too I remember when my ex was in Iraq playing for the troops mm -hmm. it was uh the 4th of July and a friend of mine invited me to, to uh, Brett Simon's birthday party. And that's where I made, met David Goodstein. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we had this whole big jam session. Like all these people just kind of got together and started playing randomly in, in, in Brett's house or his apartment, I should say. And there was just like an instant connection, you know. So, so Goody's like, you got to come and meet my friends. You got to come and meet my friends at the kibitz room right so i get to the kibitz like eventually I, I get to the kibitz i check it out and then i meet everybody else and it's like it just was like instant connection like i totally got where these guys were going mm -hmm. and like morty like i know you you spoke of morty before and he's just a genius like he's yeah. just he's a human dj like he sings yeah. like a dj yeah you know he does like these mashups like he's like the human mashup king, you know? And, and you know, the band is just, you know, they're, they're along for the ride, you know? And, and, and it's such a great support system and they're hilarious. So, you know, so anyway, yeah, I started hanging out in the kibitz room and, and then I, I find out that like, you know, Jenkins, I, I knew Jenkins 20 years prior when he was uh, on the road with, uh, 
Dave Davies. We met right. at Harbor's uh, Ferry. That's right. And it's just so random, you know? So like all these like reconnections started happening. And of course, Paul Ill was around. Mm -hmm. Paul Ill hears me play. And then he recommends me for a fiber fighting gig. And then like, that was pretty much like where things started to shift for me out in LA because then all of a sudden, you know, people saw that I was doing some touring and I was doing some fly dates and stuff. And they were like, oh, so maybe she is legit, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that was a big turning point for me out here too, because like, I, 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 you know, I started developing some confidence, you know? I also want to say too, that like the first couple of years I was going to a lot of auditions um, you know, like uh, Barry Squire auditions, like Barry Squire worked for MI and, you know, he would put together these things where all these musicians would come together and, and like, you know, do these blind auditions, you know, we would learn the tune in like a, a day or so, and then like, you know, play it together. And, and I met a lot of musicians that way. I met a lot of musicians. I met uh, Janet Robin, who is a dear friend of mine, and she's a badass guitar player, songwriter um who who helped me a lot and vv rama who's a phenomenal bass player she's playing with uh, kesha and um um uh who's who else tegan and sarah you know she's a badass too so like you know i ended up developing some really strong friendships and relationships early on when i was just kind of like trying to make myself busy while you know the guy was away Mm -hmm. um and just trying to figure out my 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 you know my life mm -hmm. you know it's it's kind of strange because like it's it's a constant it's like um a culture shock coming out here at first you know because whereas like everything was so easily ac accessible in like new york and boston mm -hmm. la you know it's a lot more spread out so you have to drive everywhere where right. at first and then you have to worry about parking and then everything becomes more of an expense. Yeah, you can't you know, get on a train and be there in, in half an hour. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. You know. so, right. So, so these things became more of like issues, you know? And also like, you know, if you're drinking, like, okay, you, you know, you shouldn't be drinking and driving. You gotta like pace yourself <laughs> and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's funny because like at these point, at, at that point, like these were concerns of mine. <laughs> Whereas why I'm sober today. Um, but the, it's just incredible when I look back and see like the, the uh, connections and, and, and the threads, you know, whereas I started playing bass and I started, you know, touring out here. And then through that experience, I just, I started meeting other people and, and then I, eventually I ended up going to this, uh, I started gigging with this guy who had connections with this symphonic tribute. Um, mm. I did the symphonic tribute to uh, Journey. And um, let's see. Oh, wait, no. So prior to that, because I'm trying to figure out how I got into orchestrating. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, let me you're having a you're having a Dave Jenkins moment here. Am I? <laughs> yes. 
orchestrating and then and then and then to back up to the yeah no no i'm just kind of like yeah i, I just realized how much i'm talking i'm so sorry no, oh, no, well, no. This, this is an interview <laughs> orchestrating orchestrating and arranging because that's yeah. the, the other tools in your toolkit yeah so i was in this uh, all-female salsa band is that is that the uh la salsa divas yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the La Salsa Divas, and then it turned into Las Chicas. And through that, um, I ended up on a TV show called Noches con Platanito. Mm -hmm. And that was my TV gig for about six years. And as much as it looked very glamorous, and I was wearing a lot of like makeup and, and uh, sequin dresses, mm -hmm. it was also um, really um, difficult for me because it was all in a, a different language. Mm -hmm. And as much as I wanted to learn the language, the last thing I wanted to do after being on set for like 12, 13 hours was try to learn Spanish on Rosetta Stone. Was this, so, was this uh, on Estrella TV? Yeah, it's on Estrella TV, yeah. And is this, is this, is it Colombian or is it Mexican? Mexican. Mexican. Yeah, but the salsa band, you know, we did a lot of different styles. We, we, we did a lot of salsa mm -hmm. and then we did some cumbias, which is more Mexican tradition. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, we did a lot of uh, Cuban and, and Colombian, and, and actually on the show we did that too. But it was it was geared towards more like um, um, quebraditas and um, cumbias, mm -hmm. and a lot more Mexican um, uh, popular music. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, that was a sight reading gig. So like, you know, we wouldn't have much time to to go over stuff and you know we would have to try to nail it on the first first try if we were lucky we would get a second try so you know it was a uh, there was a lot of pressure and there was a lot of hurry up and wait mm -hmm. um and it was very demanding um and as much as i'm grateful for the opportunity i learned a lot of great skills i mean i learned how to sight read on the fly you know um I did learn how to understand Spanish. I, I really can't speak it, but but I, I can understand when someone's cursing me out in a different language you can at least. Take direction and that's yeah. <laughs> and I could take direction for sure. I could definitely take direction. Um, yeah, and I, I learned solfege in in, in uh, Latin, you know, whereas it's it's funny because like solfege is Latin to begin with, but um, there was this one situation where we, we had to hit like these, these, these one, these stabs, right? So I have to like play like a, a G, like one, two, three, G, you know? And the musical director would, would call them out in solfege. So he would say like, instead of F, he would say Fa. Instead of G, he would say Sol, right? Mm -hmm. And then he would go to, to say C. And then in my mind, I'm thinking C is like Do. Right. But in his mind, C is actually T-I, which is T, which is B in the solfege that I learned. Mm -hmm. So when he used to call out C in the beginning, I was like a half step off. And then he would get so pissed and then like you would hear him like go off in, 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 in his language. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I could hear I could hear what he's saying. I understand. I know what he means. <laughs> yeah, I know what he means. He's really hating me right now. 
he's really hating me right now. But you know, I mean, I, I, I must have not have been that bad because I was there for six years. Um, but mind you, it was very stressful. And um, uh, when I decided to leave, uh, you know, I left a couple of times and I, <laughs> I, I decided to leave and I was just like, okay, I need to do something that's fulfilling. I need to do something that's inspiring. And um, that's when I decided to put together this tribute to Kate Bush and Suti and the Banshees, mm -hmm. which were like two of my heroes, Yeah, you know? And uh, I did that for my birthday. And I invited a whole bunch of people, a lot of my musician friends, and I wrote out all the, all the music. So like, they didn't have to worry about studying it or anything. You did all your charts and all that. I did all the charts and that's how I learned finale. That's how I learned how to do scoring and stuff. And then from there, you know, it, it, it ended up being such a great successful show that more people wanted to get involved. So then there I am like creating a bigger Kate Bush tribute. And around that time, Wild Honey was looking for people to, to uh, participate in the Beach Boys tribute. Mm -hmm. So then I ended up. What year is this? This must have been, must have been 2015 or 16. Okay. All right. So, uh, so then, yeah. So then I was asked to write the horn parts, the, the horn arrangements for the Beach Boys tribute. And at the same time, I was getting offered to, to score and orchestrate for the orchestral tribute to Fleetwood Mac. Wow. Yeah. So then like in a matter of months, which started out with a, with a Kate Bush tribute mm -hmm. within that year, by the end of that year, I did like two orchestral tributes and, you know, it started out with the fleet uh, with a, it started out with the Beach Boys and then Fleetwood Mac. And then, um, oh yeah, and then it wasn't a tribute. I actually uh, orchestrated for Nelly, the mm -hmm. rapper. So I, I did his whole symphony show. And then from there, it just kind of developed to other things. Then I started um, a tribute to George Michael, uh, to Prince, mm -hmm. which is now a different, uh, a different production, and um, Wyclef Jean. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, all of a sudden I was playing less bass and I was transcribing more. So yeah, it, it like totally shifted my life. And um, somewhere around there too, I was writing. I, I met Fernando and we started a band mm -hmm. too. And that was a whole other segue. So I don't know. I feel like I'm talking way too much. <laughs> no, this is fantastic. This is this is the the unfolding of a life, and and what tends to happen is that when you when you remember back, there's more that you remember. It's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I, I hope I'm not boring you. You like, I, I, like no. this is so crazy for me. Yeah. And then so then what? Um, so then um, you you had wanted to talk a little bit about recovery because that happened around this time. All right. Oh yeah. So so yeah. To to kind of bookend it, right? Um, so you know now. Well, you know, I, after all that orchestration stuff, I started working for Peter Asher and I started doing a lot of that, a lot of his shows, and and that's been a wonderful experience. And actually, right before the pandemic, I came back from a, a tour with him. And we had some other dates lined up throughout April and May and June. Um, but, you know, of course that fell through. 
So, okay, so the pandemic hits and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of relieved to have this time, uh, but I also know that there are friends of mine that are struggling. So I, I ended up spending a lot of my time talking with people in recovery throughout this past year. And it just kind of shifted my focus. Um, I, I started doing those uh, quarantine shows, you know, the Facebook live shows mm -hmm. on my own and they were great and they were fun. But again, once like Black Lives Matter started happening, like all, all the, the, the injustice and the, and, and the shifting of the polarization of this country, I just, you know, I, I got deflated. You know, I, I saw like my, my, my friends becoming divided. Everyone was becoming divided. And I was just like, you know, I, I don't want to play for you guys. Right. <laughs> Social media is such a big part of that polarization. It's kind of like, you're yeah. against us. It's like, oh, Jesus, really? Yeah. You know, can we just and it was kind of like, you know, as much as I, I want to be there and be of service, you know, there were a lot of things, a lot of people were saying that I didn't like and I didn't accept. Yeah. I was like, you know, I don't want to play for you. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of want to avoid the whole social media thing. I mean, because it's coming from all directions. Well, <laughs> well for, for me, I was all about becoming educated as right. a white woman and, and becoming educated in the history of this country. Right. And I learned a lot. You know, there's a lot of things that I became aware of that I, I did not know about. And, you know, I, I took it upon myself to, to join organizations, you know, White Women for Black Lives. Um, and, you know, I, I still participate in a lot of different organizations. So that kind of like that, you know, brought me more into service mm -hmm. in, in many different ways not only just recovery, but, you know, for human rights and, and civil rights. Um, so, you know, throughout this, this year, you know, I just felt like my, my role was more to help people who are suffering in recovery than in music, mm -hmm. you know, and it just gave me a sense of purpose that I didn't have in so long. Like, you know, the, the beautiful thing about music is like, okay, you know, we're entertainers. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I started music, it wasn't to entertain. And I have to be honest about that. You know, I, I, I don't play music to be a spectacle. I don't play music to get any kind of acknowledgement. I, I play music so I could connect mm -hmm. with, with the musicians on stage. You know, and I had to be really honest with myself about that, you know, and uh, helping people recover gives me that connection. Seeing women transform and, and find their own identity and discover, th discover things in themselves it, it just, it, it brings me a sense of gratitude and, and, and uh, a sense of purpose and value that I, I never really experienced with music. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to have this journey. I'm really excited to, to have this opportunity to see that there are other, you know, other parts of me that still need to be explored, mm -hmm. you know? So I really wasn't grieving not being on tour. I wasn't grieving, you know, playing music. 
because you know I just saw this whole other opportunity open up. And plus, you know, I'm, I'm writing songs every week. I joined this um, international songwriters collective where we get together every week and someone comes in with a brief, which is like a theme for this, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, just uh, like an assignment. Mm -hmm. And then we randomly get teamed up with creatives from all over the world. And, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful sense of community and it's, and, and it's a way of learning how to work with others. It's a team building thing too, because like, you know, as creatives, we kind of get stuck with our own vision sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to learn how to be more creatively open with other people. And know? especially when you're connecting with people who come from a completely different musical tradition, and then you're working together and you both learn from each other. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's the challenge because like in the group, there are people who are like top liner songwriters, like meaning that they, they write the melody and the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And then there are the producers that just kind of, you know, work the magic in the, mm -hmm. in the studio. And then there are like the, the, the musicians that, you know, the, the uh, facilitators, like the, the ones that, that play the instruments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone has their different strengths. And sometimes we get paired up with two of the same, where like someone has to write the lyrics and go, oh, well, I'm not a lyricist. Oh, I'm not either. So what are we going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to be a lyricist today, you know? So it's like, you know, it, it's it's really wonderful in that sense because like it's an exercise. It's it's develop, developing new skills, mm -hmm. and you know that's that's been such a godsend for me too. You know, I mean, there's really never been a dull moment this past year for me. You know, I, I was online taking courses. Like there was like these free courses from Yale that were being available. So I started learning about psychology. I might want to go back to school. I might want to be a therapist one day. Yeah. You know. Um, Physiology, oh my God, there's so much to learn. There is yeah. so much to learn, you know? So, so, you know, I really dived into all that stuff. And so many opportunities now to learn and to connect with people. And I, I think that that is one of the things that coming out of this time of the COVID days, as I call them, that there are also, there are these ways to connect. There are more ways to connect than there were before. So we'll have the opportunity to be in person and everything at some point. And there's also all this other stuff and how wonderful that there are more, even more options so that we can, um, I mean, for work and for, uh, and for learning and connection. Yeah, absolutely. And it just kind of makes me appreciate the, the journey even more. You know, it's, it's funny because like music is coming back to my life again, but in a, in a totally different way. And it's, 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 it's enriching. It's, it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this new chapter, you know, and, and, you know, it, I don't necessarily have to play bars every night to make a living, you know, it's like, I, I don't have to wait for the phone to ring. I don't have to necessarily do this, you know, now all of a sudden, again, there's like new options. And, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens, you know, oh, there's your kitty. There's yeah, Jack hey. makes an appearance. Oh, hey there. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah, someone's going to hear that like, okay, what, what is she doing? What is she doing? I'm looking at a kitty. I'm looking at a really cute kid. A, a, a tuxedo kitty cat. But yes. the thing I was going to say too is that it's like music is the prism through which different light is shining through. So like different aspects of it. You, you had this time in your life where you're doing a lot, a lot of performing. And then there's another time where you're doing orchestrating and arranging. And then there's this other opportunity to connect with people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And then there's more study and this and that. And it's kind of like, it's the gift that keeps on giving. There, is, there, is, there are infinite opportunities within the realm of music. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm grateful to have that common thread. I'm grateful to have that, that gift. And it's definitely a gift. I mean, like music has carried me through. Music has been the common thread since day one. Um, you know, but yet, you know, I don't have to be so reliant on it anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, now I could, um, expand in in like other ways i could learn i could explore different parts of myself and then bring it back to music mm -hmm. you know it, it's it's no longer like the the um, as much as it's a common thread it's not the whole story right you know it's yeah. it's kind of like the train tracks yeah it's like the train tracks you know so like, you know, my life is, is, is my journey, my, my exploration of all these different things. And then I go back to the train, I go back to music mm -hmm. and it takes me somewhere else. <laughs> wow, this has been an amazing, uh, an amazing trip that we've taken, <laughs> both distance-wise and time-wise and in, uh, in, in life, life experience. Yeah. I. I'm kind of in disbelief that we talked about all that stuff. <laughs> I had no idea what to expect. And, you know, I hope uh, I've helped someone. I hope that this, you know, entertains someone. Uh, Absolutely. Well, I've had a great time. Oh, well, I'm so glad. Oh my God, it's so great to see you too. And I would love to interview you sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Done. I will be there. Yay. Okay. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was the amazing Jennifer Joe Oberly. Thank you so much, Jen, for your time today. I really had a great time. And wow, we covered a lot of territory and went into unexpected places, which is always the best thing, you know, when relating the human experience. So thank you so much for that. And as for my listeners, you get a special treat today to close the episode, the aforementioned International Songwriters Collective whom Jen has been collaborating with most recently. We're going to close with a track called Destiny, her very latest. I hope you enjoy. Take good care of yourselves, take good care of each other, and I will see you on the other side. This is Destiny.